the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. The plan for this episode was to be an introduction to CU's fall camp with a deep dive into the depth chart on the offensive side of the ball. Unfortunately, with the recent announcement of the postponement of the 2020 fall calendar, working through the Buffs roster seems, if not irrelevant, at least premature. Now, if you're desperate for a football fix, I did do a written unit-by-unit review of the CU roster, which can be found on the website. So, rather than discuss backup left tackles, Brad and I have put together a review of the recent events. We start with the national picture and the ongoing debate as to whether or not it is safe to play. As of this recording, the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 are planning to play this fall, while the Big 10 and Pac-12 are looking to play in the spring, with pressure being put upon the Big 10 by parents, players, and fans to reconsider reinstating the fall calendar. Stay tuned. Brad and I will discuss the status of the Pac-12's position on waiting until January 1st to restart competition and then bring it back to our buffs. we we'll talk about how the program is dealing with the crisis and how the additional layoff will affect recruiting and the overall prognosis for Carl Durrell's first season. Thanks for checking in with the podcast. I hope you'll find this episode to be informative and fun. Okay, we're ready to go. Bradford, how are things in South Denver? Things in Denver are well. We are approaching the start of school, such as it is, and various schedules, etc. So, we are well. How are things in Bozeman? Well, my golf game is not on a positive trajectory. It is, I think the the curve is flattened. Uh, (laughs) It is what it is, but it was uh, fun to play golf today. So, that's about... uh, what it's like in beautiful Bozeman right now is that we get to at least get out and enjoy the sunshine. Yeah, it is gorgeous here, albeit smoky. We are much of Colorado is on fire and the smoke has settled in. So, oh, okay. It is a blood red sky some days. Well, it makes for nice sunsets, but that's about the only thing you can positively say about it. Most definitely. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the news. It's been an eventful week. This past week, the Pac-12 shut down competitive sports until at least January 1 of 2021. CU Athletic Director Rick George, in his press conference after the announcement, talked about uh, there being the need for one voice for college football, and Neil Welk wrote a nice column for cubuffs.com echoing that sentiment. 
what say you about one voice for college football in the NCAA? Oh, it would be, you know, as some sort of college football commissioner who could organize everyone and get together is a lovely hypothetical. I'm trying to figure out who thinks that person exists and who would have the authority to do that and how it would be imposed, how that person would be chosen. And all of those complications begin to make me think it is unlikely to impossible to happen. Um, That would require various conferences who have various levels of independence to surrender that. And I just don't see it happening. It would be nice in this kind of environment, but it's not a realistic option. Yeah, I tend to agree that there's not going to be a Dan Gavitt who runs the basketball stuff is not going to appear. And the way the conferences are, I mean, it was 1984 when uh, Oklahoma and Georgia sued the NCAA so they could get more games on television. And that's kind of was the end of the NCAA's reign in terms of actual control. And I don't think that the power conferences are going to want to give it back. Even the conferences that are wanting to play, like the ACC and the SEC, they can't even agree amongst themselves what to do. Uh, You had to kind of get a kick out of the fact when ACC schools announced their schedule, the revised schedule, and they said they were going to do conference games plus one so that they could continue on with some of the rivalry games like Florida, Florida State, Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech. And the very next day, the SEC said, well, we're just going to do conference only. So even the schools that want to play can't agree on the day of the week, much less how to do anything else. So while it would be nice to have one voice for college football so that the public and the players and the schools had some semblance of continuity in terms of how we're going to go with this going forward, uh, I tend to agree with you that it ain't it never going to happen. Well, I mean, the, you know, the SEC had the conflict among the coaches because of allegations that the extra game, that the choice of the extra game was at minimum not transparent and at maximum rigged to protect certain teams. Um, if you can't all get together in your own conference about who's doing what and how it's being fair, I don't see an outsider imposing order on the SEC. So how, what did you think of Dabo Sweeney um, his comments about how having three of the five conferences playing, that that would be sufficient to have a college football playoff and have a college football national champion this year. Well, I mean, what the heck else do you expect Dabo Sweeney, of all people, to say? You know, that the I, you want to have some sort of reward. That Clemson does not play for the ACC championship that they have set their goals higher. They have set their aspirations higher. If there is no national championship, at least not one widely acknowledged, Dabo's not worth the money he's paid for. So of course you expect to hear that. And whoever wins from the big, whatever cobbled together schedule, those three conferences put together, they will hang a championship banner. And Dabo Sweeney will claim his championship bonus. We will go from there. I mean, you, once you've made this decision that you're going to go forward, once you've made this decision that you're going to take the risk, you can't say, yeah, but, you know, there's nothing really to, we're playing for. Yeah. So if uh, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten actually end up playing in the spring, does that mean that the Rose Bowl game played in April 
would constitute a national championship. We could have Oregon play against Ohio State. Instead of playing in September, they could play in April, and they could play for some sort of pseudo-national championship. And I think if you look at geography, not to say anything about Dabo Sweeney, but you know the three conferences that are playing don't go further west than probably, what, Lubbock? Dallas. Uh, you know, somewhere in one of the Texas schools, uh, maybe Manhattan or it's furthest west. But you could actually take a road trip from California to Arizona, go through Four Corners to Colorado, up to Nebraska. And you could hit the Midwest, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania. And you could end up in College Park, Maryland. You could actually go from sea to shining sea between the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and actually hit the entire country. So if there's a true national champion, it would be the winner of the Rose Bowl in April. How about that? Well, although, I'm sorry to interrupt, but, you know, somewhere there is an ESPN programmer going, now let's see if we can get the winner of the Oregon-Ohio State game to play the winner of the Alabama-Clemson game. Yes. What would our ratings be like in that circumstance? Yes, they can play Memorial Day weekend right before the Indy 500 or something like that. Yes. Yeah, it's to be determined whether or not there's actually going to be any fall football at all. So, But there was a petition, I don't know if you saw this, Justin Fields for the Ohio State quarterback put out a petition that, you know, that they wanted to play. It has 80,000 signatures already. Don't think that's going to get very far. Well, it didn't. To be sarcastic, I wonder how many of the people signing it are epidemiologists, <laughs> or or they just just mailed it out to the season ticket holders for Ohio State, called it good. Yeah, uh, online petitions signed by fans are lovely, and they show a lot of interest when we're talking about who should be the most valuable player when they're making decisions about how universities and young men should risk their lives. They mean little. I don't mean to in any way minimize the harm to the college athletes or their desire to play or anything else. These are difficult questions that are decided above their pay grade. For example, the reason those people are in a higher pay grade. They have studied the issues. I don't know that the Ohio State football quarterback, as great as he may be at reading defenses, is the person to be making those calls. What would you say put on your trial lawyer cap here the ncaa has said you can't have players sign waivers what would you say to the argument that i am 18 slash 22 years old i understand what i'm doing i want to play i understand the risks i understand the potentials for harm i understand the statistics i've spoken with the school's medical x y and z and I'm willing to sign a waiver because I want the opportunity to play. Well, last year, would we have let somebody sign that waiver about head injuries? I don't want to comply with the head injury protocols. They are The helmets are uncomfortable, whatever else. I understand the risk. I am willing to accept it so that I can play football. At times, institutions take steps to protect people from themselves. Well, and we, the reality. and we take steps to make people get driver's licenses. We put airbags in their cars. We require them to wear seatbelts, but we still let them drive, even though they know that there is a chance that they might get into an accident. Are they not willing to make their own choices when it comes to making that sort of decision? 
nobody drives with the imperture of the University of Colorado. When you expect a university to put their name and their backing and their support, you accept inherently their authority. That's the way this works. Now, we can make an argument that there should be a minor league football team system unrelated to college football. That's a fun discussion to have at a completely different time. But once you've accepted that you're playing for the university of whatever, then you've also accepted that those people at that university get to make some of the decisions before they put their name on the team. Okay. Well, let's move that down from the national level because I don't think we're going to be in a position to decide anything for the national. <laughs> the Pac-12 came out and said there'd be no competition of any kind until January 1st, and I don't want to go too deep into a dive into basketball, but uh, CU head coach Tad Boyle for the basketball team was blindsided um, by the fact that they were included in this decision, and of course that means no non-conference games, the Kansas Jayhawks were going to be coming to the event center. I actually was able to not say Coors Event Center. Very proud of myself. Um, in December with a sold-out crowd, and that's not going to happen. So there's no competition until January 1st. So that raises a number of issues in terms of going forward if there's going to be competition after January 1st. Uh, first of all, eligibility. So if you have a high school senior that graduates in December, would you let them play in January? I guess it would depend on if he's a lottery pick. <laughs> I mean, well, I'm, I'm, um, I think for back to football here, I'm going to let Tad Boyle fight his own fights. But, I mean, okay. I would say for football that you're probably not going to have that be much of an issue. I can't imagine there'd be too many high school seniors that would be in a position to play at the power five level anyway, you know, three weeks after graduating from high school. Uh, I just, I understand the, the concept of that being a problem to have high school seniors graduate early, come in as freshmen, the team's practicing, the team's playing, and yet they're not part of that process. I just, I can see that being a potential problem, but I don't think as a, as an actual matter, it's going to be a problem because I don't think they're going to be, too many incoming freshmen that are going to be able to just suit up and go. Mm -hmm. Certainly true. Would uh, Where do you stand or where do you think we're going to end up with the 85-man scholarship limits? Where are we going to end up dealing with that? We're just going to give uh, schools the ability to have 120 scholarships or where will that land? I can't imagine we're not going to have to expand rosters in some way. That we're not going to have to figure out how incoming players are going to be. I don't know how we're going to. Again, it, it, we are used to a set system where changes are made for better or for worse, at least with some thought and some planning. And with the case of the NCAA, usually years of planning, although the thought is not always visible. The op we have the opposite now. We have decisions being made based on today's issue. And they're not being made in a particularly transparent way. It would seem like some expansion of the roster is going to be absolutely necessary to deal with a lot of different things. But how they're going to do that, if they're going to do that, they certainly don't know. And so it's hard to guess. Yeah. Well, this may be 
one small area where the University of Colorado actually is better off than some other schools. We'll talk a little bit about not having any practices for Carl Durrell or having a brand new coach and everything like that. But in terms of having a small senior class anyway, it's going to be less of an issue for the University of Colorado. And there's, of course, then the issue of are the star players going to opt out? Are there going to be mass defections for players that want to play in the NFL if the NFL doesn't move its draft, doesn't move its process in terms of draft? Are there going to be a number of players, uh, you think Nate Landman, Mustafa Johnson, you know, players like that for Colorado that will not want to play their senior year? Does I think it, nationwide, there certainly will be some of those players. Does uh, that dilute the product? If that, uh, does that put a, I mean, there's going to be an asterisk by the season anyway, but does that uh, dilute the product if you have 150 players nationally opt out of their senior year? Well, 150 of the top players. Yes. Is, you know, that, that's the key. So, of course, it dilutes the product. There, you can't help but to do so when the better players do that. Now, what is the definition of a better player? Where do they stand? Where they, it may depend on how, it certainly is going to depend on how it goes with the SEC and ACC and Big 12. If they play a full, whatever full means schedule, and those players get more exposure and maybe seem to be creeping up the draft board, then maybe there's a benefit to the players in the Pac-12 and Big 10 playing and showing a bit more of what they can do. Every player is going to make their own personal decision about what it's worth for them. And an always challenging decision gets vastly more difficult for those people. I think, honestly, CU, I hate to say this, has fewer of those people than some. Yeah. So I can't imagine Mustafa Johnson or Nate Landman thinking that they have settled their draft stock so well that they should not play football. Um, But it's not impossible. And they may make decisions for other reasons. They may simply say that the risks are too high. We have, we see players doing that all the time for various reasons. Some of them enunciated, some of them not. And who are we to question them? Yeah. Well, just having eligibility issues again, you know, expanding the roster, Again, it's a brave new world that there are so many, there are more questions than there are answers at this point. But one of the rules that they have is that if the participants or if the schools do not play half of their regularly scheduled, so that we're back to 12 games, that in other words, if there's a schedule or a season of only five games, that your year of eligibility will not be used up. And that raises the question of, let's say the Pac-12 decides to go back to just an eight-game conference schedule. They'll just go back to what the eight games that were supposed to be played in the fall for conference. And maybe you sit a player after four games. We had this new system where if you only played four games, you don't use up your year of eligibility. So there were some true freshmen that were playing four games and then sat out or they didn't play the first eight games of the season and played in November. Can you see a scenario where maybe the Buffs play Alex Fontenot at running back the first four games and Jaron Magum starts the next four games and both of them preserve their years of eligibility? There's just uh, way too many 
variables right now that uh, are unknown, but it will be interesting to see if, in fact, games get to be played. And then that just raises the next question of the number of games. Are you of the camp that says that you can't have players, college football players, playing, well, the maximum, I guess you'd say, if you're Clemson, have to play in the spring, you play 30 games that somehow if there's a full season in the spring and a full season next fall, there'd be 30 games played in about a calendar year. I don't think anybody's proposing that, but if there's an eight or 10 game schedule in the spring, how do you foresee that affecting the fall of 2021, season two of 2021? Clemson is probably not the best choice because I think Clemson's going to play football no matter what. Again, I think we're going to see a dilution of the quality. I think there are players who are not going to do that. I think there's going to be a lot of opting out. And I think it's, it's, I mean, it is a challenge. It does increase your chances of injury. It does increase your chances of illness. This seems unlikely to me that we're going to play football in the spring and fall. But that's, people think they can do that. Um, but they haven't shown me any plan that has convinced me that that's going to work. Well, Jeff Brom, the head coach at Purdue, I don't know if you saw this, the Big Ten coach, he did put together a very thoughtful plan. I believe it was an eight or nine game schedule, both for the spring and the fall, where the number of actual contact practices, and this is, again, taking into account you know, spring practices, bowl practices, things like that, that there are 144 contact days in a normal two-year cycle, and with his proposal, it would be something like 65 contact days. So if you don't take spring ball, if you don't have a long fall camp, and you don't have bowl games to prepare for, there is potential for players to actually have less contact than they would if they played two full seasons in the fall. Well, and that's the kind of, saying NCAA or even football conferences and creative, intelligent, well-thought-out plans is oftentimes an inconsistent concept. But there are people who can think about that. I think Brom understanding the inside of football should be as part of this consultation. That's not a decision about whether or not to play that probably needs to be left to the president. That's a decision about how to do it, whereby good coaches, good athletic directors can, I think, have some, some more creative ideas. And I hadn't read Brom's plan, but I'm glancing at it now, and it seems like someone who has put in the time on that. I hope that the conferences will think about things like that. And that's where cooperation I mean, whatever we're going to do for the fall of 2020, the spring of 2021, the Power Five have got to get together in June and make a decision about the fall. Yes, that's going to have to be some harmony there that you can't have five different decision-making bodies um, not have some uniformity. Well, and that's where the complete lack of leadership at the NCAA comes completely into play. The, The person we heard the least from is Mark Emmerich yeah. who appears to have you know, huddled into his basement <laughs> going underground he's used communiques by you know, carrier pigeon every once in a while hypothetically even if you didn't have a college football dean you would have someone at the NCAA with the gravitas and the influence to help make these decisions we haven't had that for years 
Well, fortunately, we have an athletic director I think most CU fans are pretty happy with in Rick George. And to bring this all back to dear old CU and our buffs, um, you have to feel for Carl Durrell. Um, I have not met him yet. But the idea that a week before spring practices were to begin, they pulled the plug. When 9 of 12 Pac-12 teams were already on the fields practicing. And then a week before fall camp was supposed to open, they pulled the plug again. So you're talking about a head coach that, even though many of his peers, even though some of the new coaches have had practices with their teams, he has yet to take the field with his team. And that's, I think that's unquestionably a disadvantage when it comes to preparation. As many Zoom meetings as you can have, as many preparatory things you can do with the players at 20 hours a week, um, you really have to feel for this coaching staff being at a disadvantage whenever the, the buffs are going to play again. Or do you look at the postponement as being a positive, at least in terms of the University of Colorado, that gives this coaching staff an extra four months to get to know their players and have the players get to know them and be organized for football when football once again takes the field. As frustrating as it is, and the fact that they haven't been able to practice, I, I've got to think that the players are going to come back, I think, soon. See, they're moving into CU this weekend. That time to spend between the coaches and the players and time to get to know them and time to discuss how you do this has got to be some advantage to Carl in this situation. There's nothing like practice. There's certainly nothing like games. But you know, we were facing such a deficit already trying to get ready for the fall and that I, part of me seems tends to think that the delay is more helpful than harmful. I think uh, I, I would tend to agree with that, that uh, for the University of Colorado, just in our little microcosm, the longer this gets delayed, now, of course, it's not good for anyone that goes on forever, but um, it kind of puts everybody on similar footing. Whereas if everything just got shut down in the spring and we were all up and going here for the fall, uh, the fact that we had no spring practice, the fact that we had a coaching staff that was hired in late February, uh, was a distinct disadvantage, whereas now everyone's kind of in the same boat and this coaching staff. And then, again, we don't know until they actually take the field, but I think you have to be fairly impressed with how well they've handled the team, interacted with the team, interacted with the public. Again, that doesn't give you wins and losses on the scoreboard or in the standings, but that gives them more of an opportunity to put their system in place and to get their team ready to play their way. Oh, I, I think I agree. And again, the fact that the players are going to be on campus, that they're going to be part of the CU program. I don't know what kind of meetings they'll be allowed to have. I don't know what kind of walkthroughs they'll be allowed to have. I think we're still working that out. It certainly helps, you know, the football team. We can, you know, I'm, I understand why Ted Boyle's angry. He's got a team, he's got a program. He wants to go forward. You know, I suspect the cross country team. Yes. <laughs> is a bit frustrated, perhaps the ski team. I haven't looked carefully at their schedule. But, you know, I, I think for football, this delay, from a very selfish point of view, helps. We haven't had any kind of anything looking like a mass exodus from the school. 
it gives more time to talk about recruiting and the coaches can focus on recruiting in a way that's never been done in the fall. Maybe this, I think this is an advantage. And I, I think, you know, talking about recruiting, if there was ever going to be a year where you had a small class, this would be the year to have it that, you know, the disadvantages of not having the on-site uh, official visits, not being able to, you know, share your vision, not being able to talk to players from December through February. Um, if you're ever going to not want to have a class of 25 to 28 players, this would probably be the year to do it because CU has got a number of disadvantages with the recruiting class of 2021 that hopefully will not be still in place when we get to the recruiting class of 2022, which will, again, depending on how the scholarship limits work out, be a significantly larger class. And they'll give this coaching staff a full year of dealing with high school juniors on a level playing field with other coaching staffs to try and recruit them to come and visit Boulder. And at least from what you see from the recruiting sites and virtual visits and the players that have spoken with the coaching staff and have committed to the University of Colorado, this coaching staff does seem to be doing a good job. This is not going to be a highly rated recruiting class. We've talked about that before simply because of the numbers, simply because of the size of the class. But if there is ever going to be a year where you didn't need or didn't have to have or didn't want to have a large number of slots to fill, this would be the year for it. So, you know, if you want to look at this from a glass one-third or a quarter full situation, we have a team that is stronger on juniors who have more time with the coaching staff who will hopefully get to play something like a full season in the spring, get to know them, then get a summer off, come back as more hardened juniors, as more hardened seniors, um, knowing the coaching staff and hopefully reinforced with a small program. And then next year, the program will be in better shape. That is not an unreasonable view to take for a CU football fan. Yeah. Well, if you want to take one other silver lining CU fans, the fact that it's a smaller class, if in fact the reality is that there are going to be more than 85 scholarship players on a team, and that seems inevitable, in a year where budget concerns are paramount for athletic departments, this is a good year not to have 105 scholarship players to account for. That just from a sheer dollar standpoint, other schools that are going to have 25 extra scholarship players potentially on their roster, you still got to find ways to pay for that. And in a year where at best, it's going to be a down year. At worst, it's going to be a catastrophic year. Anything that helps the budget is a good thing. It does come down to that. I mean, we have become, especially as a member of a Power Five conference, even the poorest of the Power Five conferences, kind of used to the fact that there is a fire hose of money being sought at college football. Figuring out how to cut back, figuring out how to live within that budget and the schools that are more creative about that and efficient about that probably are going to have some advantage. Um, this is this is a <laughs> this is a time for the nimble. <laughs> yes. Well, and speaking of being nimble, bring it all the way down to personal. What 
are your plans for the fall Saturdays? Have you thought about how your fall weekends are going to be different without the Pac-12, without Colorado playing football? Well, my, while my golf game is not anything to be excited about, I uh, haven't been enjoying it, so I suspect I'll be doing some of that. And I mean, let's be honest, I may, you know, deny it, but I will probably watch some SEC football. Likely at some point, turn in and see what Clemson is doing. But yeah, there's just not that obsession level. I'll be, of course, reading your hypothetical football matchups, enjoying that every week. But no, it's a completely different routine. That idea that you're going to get up in the morning and you know watch the Big Ten game of the week, and then what's best in the SEC, and then. You know, what time do the buffs play or what's the late night Mountain West game? That's just not a routine. And that is one that I've been in since 1981. So it may be a bit challenging to live with this fall. It is going to be a different world to, yeah, and get excited about SMU against North Texas. You know, when the G5, if they actually play, it's going to be, yeah, considerably different and just to talk about the hypothetical, for those of you that are not on my email update list, first of all, why not? Why aren't you on the email update list? All you have to do is just send me a note at seeyouatthegame at gmail.com, and I'll put you on the email update list. I let everybody know that I am not going to let you down in terms of game stories this fall. I am going to have a CU season. We're going to go back through the regular season starting September 5th with a game against Colorado State. I am going to put together full game stories. I've already done the CSU game, had a lot of fun doing it, so I'm definitely excited about it. Going through, you know, who's going to score the touchdowns, how the game's going to play out, locker room quotes, game notes. I'm going to keep track of the Pac-12. I'm going to go through those 12 games every week and keep track of standings. And then just for fun, if that's not fun enough, I'm going to do an alternate universe Colorado season where the realistic schedule I'm going to go through, you know, and yes, we face tough games playing Oregon. We play, you know, Texas A&M on their own, things like that. Those are going to be tough games for the Carl Durrell first year, but we could also have an alternate universe where things fall C's way and we can have fun with that. So that's going to be part of my fall. Uh, In addition to playing more golf, I normally, hang up my clubs Labor Day weekend because Sunday mornings is when I play with our little group and Sunday mornings is either flying back from a CU football game or writing up the game story from the night before. So I still plan on playing a little bit of golf after Labor Day and I'm going to be working on for the CU at the Game website, putting out game stories that hopefully CU fans will get interested in and we can have some discussions about as to how the season will unfold and can argue with me as to whether it's Alex Fontenot or Jaron Mangum is going to be a starting running back. You know, is Katie Nixon going to have a great season? Is Daniel Arias going to have a breakout year? That's all going to be up for debate. And we're going to keep track of stats and I'm going to do what I can to give you a fix um, every Saturday throughout the 12 weeks of the season and see if uh, you can make it to a bowl game this year. Well, I think Nate Landman being one of the finalists for the Butkus Award will be fascinating. <laughs> oh, spoiler <laughs> if I can alert. Put in my 
<laughs> okay, duly noted. Nate Landman for Butkus Award. Yes. Uh, so we're going to try and keep the website. I mean, obviously, I've been doing, you know, we've had an off season now of four months of not having any anticipation of football. So we got another four months to go. So the website's still going to be added to every day. It's certainly like I'm going to shut it down, but. I understand that the interest and excitement's not going to be there, similar to what it would be if we were actually playing games. And I was putting out the tips on Wednesday and doing the game story on Sunday. So I'm going to have more time on my hands, so I'm going to do a little hypothetical season for the Buffs, and I hope everyone enjoys it. It will be fascinating, and then we will do a... Uh, and as always, the podcast will be digging into the biggest issues in college football. We might discuss what football is being played and what is not. We shall do that. Thank you, Brad. We will talk to you hopefully very soon. Looking forward to it. Thank you for being a part of the Sea Youth Game podcast. As you know, this is a very fluid situation. The petition drive started by Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields has gone from 80,000 to over 200,000 in just a short time since I spoke with Brad. And there are numerous other voices clamoring for the Big Ten to reconsider playing. At the same time, Oklahoma has reported that nine players have tested positive for the virus, putting in doubt the Sooners' ability to prepare for the upcoming season. The See You at the Game website is updated multiple times daily, so I hope you'll keep checking in for updates. We will be doing more podcasts in the upcoming months, so please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast site, And don't forget to give us a five-star rating so we can get the word out to other members of the Buff Nation looking for information on our beloved Buffs. Stay well, stay safe, and stay in touch. Go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to seeyouatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.